Your Catechism, we're getting very near the end. We're at question 105, which is, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So uh, this is the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer. As you'll recall, last week we took up the fourth petition, which is the first of the petitions that have to do with our needs. I pointed out to you that the first three petitions in the Lord's Prayer are all prayers which uh, are about the Lord, that his name would be hallowed, that his kingdom would come, and that his will would be done. And then the next three petitions are the ones that are about our needs. With the fourth one, we begin to pray for our needs, beginning with the things that we need to maintain our bodies, our physical needs. And now with the fifth and sixth petitions, we move into those things that we need to maintain our walk with God. Forgiveness of sins, and then he would deliver us from temptation. So this fifth petition is, as I have already said about forgiveness, it's the subject of question 105. So let's do as we customarily do and confess the answer to this question together. Question 105, what do we pray for in the fifth petition? In the fifth petition, which is, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, we pray that God, for Christ's sake, would freely pardon all our sins, which we are the rather encouraged to ask, because by his grace we are enabled from the heart to forgive others. There there are several things to notice here. First, that our sins are referred to as debts. And that's a very literal translation of the word, reminding us that payment needs to be made for our sins. Sometimes we, you know, we can call them properly iniquities or trespasses or just sins. But it's good to think of them also as debts that need payment. And especially when we're asking for forgiveness, we look to Jesus as the one who has paid the debt of our sin. Second, we're asking God to forgive us for Christ's sake. Many people ask God to forgive them without looking to Christ. This may even be a prayer that God will, in one sense, acknowledge if someone is crying out to God for mercy that does not know of the Lord or does not know Christ, that his spirit is beginning to work, in which case God leads them to Christ where they find that. But it's not appropriate to settle into an idolatrous way of thinking that God would have mercy on us apart from Christ. We can't expect that. So it, it says that we, you know, we look for, for Christ's sake. And uh, s- prayers without coming in his name are not heard because it's only through Christ that we have an atonement for our sins. No one can come to the Father except by him. Third, it says that we are encouraged to ask God to forgive us when we find that his grace is at work in our hearts to enable us to forgive others. We will fully explore why this is an encouragement to us as we study on today. So just wanted to summarize those things. So we have already had a couple of supplementary scripture readings. One of them was from Psalm 130, and the other one from 1 John 1, 1 through 2.11, read all the way to 2.11 because that speaks about forgiving our brother, which is associated with being forgiven by God. So uh, I'm going to refer to those a bit in this sermon as well. But our principal text is the petition itself. 
for, and forgive us, Matthew 6, 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Just what are we asking for when we say, forgive us our debts? Forgiveness is letting go of wrongs that have been done to you. When you forgive someone, you let go of wrongs that have been done to you. You all know about this. You all know something of what this is. Uh, children, you know about this. Maybe your friend has, has broken your toy and you're upset about that and you don't want to play with them. But then after a while, you get over it and you forgive them. And then everything is fine between you. You let go of that thing that you were, you were harboring against them. And with your parents, maybe they called you when you were at the playground and uh, you didn't obey them. You, know, you, you went the other way. They had to chasten you. But then you asked them to forgive you. And everything was restored. They did, and they didn't keep holding it against you. You were back to everything being the way you want it to be. It's a wonderful thing when we're restored from a relationship that has been broken by our sin, our debt. In the Bible, God talks about forgiving us of our sins, and he describes it as not holding our sins against us. For example, when he makes the great promise... To, in the covenant, to the new covenant, to forgive all of his people. In Jeremiah 31, 34, he says, I will forgive their iniquity. And then the parallel statement to that is, and their sin, I will remember no more. The construction is called parallelism in, in Hebrew. It's used a lot. And uh, what it is, is with parallelism, you say the same thing twice. That Hebrew poetry rhymes meanings rather than words, typically. So you say it two different ways with different, different wording. Instead of having rhyming words, rhyming meanings. It's very helpful for getting the full idea of things because you can look at it this way and then you look at it that way. It, if you didn't quite understand it when you heard it the first time, the first phrase, then you can understand it perhaps when you hear the second. But do you see the parallelism in the statement there in Jeremiah 31, 34? God says, I will forgive their iniquities. You know what forgiveness is, but maybe you're not as sure what iniquities are. Well, then it repeats it the second time saying, and their sin I will remember no more. So now you know that sin and iniquities are, are, are the same sort of thing, wrongs that you have done. And now there is this additional thing that's added to explain what, uh, what he means by forgiving you when God says he forgives us, that he will re- not remember your sins. That puts it in a little bit different perspective, doesn't it? Forgiveness and not remembering our sins. But because he first said that he would forgive them, then you know that he is talking about forgetting forgetting them the way you do when you forget about it when, uh, I mean, not the way that you forget about it when it's not a big deal. You know, for example, if someone forgets to return a book to you and you forget all about it, you forget you even ever loaned it to them, letting something go is not the same thing as forgiving them. When you forgive someone, it's something that you don't just kind of let go. And so forgiving is is a more significant thing. It's not you forget it because it wasn't significant. It's that you are deliberately forgetting it. It was a big thing, but you're deliberately releasing them from the wrong that they had done. So this tells us something wonderful about God's forgiveness. 
that when he forgives you, he no longer brings up your sin against you. He remembers it no more against you. Not because he's forgetful. God doesn't forget anything. He doesn't have amnesia. But because he has agreed to let it go. It's a, it's a forgetting like that. Not a forgetting that, oh, I can't remember that. You know, oh, did I loan you a book? I don't remember that. No, it's, it's, you totally remember, but you choose not to anymore hold it against the individual. He deliberately makes a promise not to hold it against us. So in Psalm 103, 11 and 12, the Spirit of Christ teaches us to sing about how complete God's forgiveness really is. It says, For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now there's a, another word for sin, transgressions, right? There's another word, and you can see that when God for, forgives, he completely separates us from them, okay, so that it is as if we had never committed them at all. They're no longer on our record. They're no longer on our account. We're taken, that's a beautiful verse and a very comforting one for people that that can't sense the forgiveness of God toward them. They need to see that, that he separates them as far as the east is from the west. It's a wonderful, and, and that's what we're asking him to do when we pray, forgive us our debts. I want you to think about how significant it is to be forgiven by God. First of all, it means that you will not be punished for those sins. This is a huge thing. The Bible tells us that God is the judge of all the earth and that he always does what's right. That means that he always punishes sin and he doesn't just punish sin, he punishes sins as they deserve. Sometimes parents don't punish their children's sin as they deserve, but God always punishes sin as we deserve. Now we, now we like to think that our sins are little things. The Bible tells us that there is no sin against our Lord God that is little. It's a huge thing because it's against God. Sin is a complete disruption of everything. When Adam sinned, he threw the whole world out of kilter, the world that God created to be holy and, and full of purity and love. It, into, he set, threw it into complete disorder. By his rebellion, he declared that God was not our God, the God of him and his posterity. As the father of us all, Adam set our course in the rejection of God, that God is not one to be feared and obeyed. The response of God as the just and holy judge was to sentence us to be cursed forever, Adam and all of his posterity, to die in our sins, to be punished forever where the devil and all of the fallen angels will likewise be punished, the ones that we chose to follow. Jesus frequently calls hell the place of outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. In Matthew 25, 26, he calls it the place of everlasting punishment. Revelation 21, 8 says that sinners will have their part in the lake of fire and brimstone, which is the second death. These are very heavy things. Sin is not a little thing. It's not a light thing. With all this in mind, just to think what it means for God Almighty to say, you are forgiven. To, I'm not going to hold your sins against you anymore. That's hugely significant. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. And it's about eternal death. 
because it says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Once our sins are forgiven, there is eternal life instead of eternal death. We can say what it says in Isaiah 12, 1. O Lord, I will praise you, though you are angry with me, yet your anger is turned away and you comfort me. Those are beautiful words when you think about the significance. I mean, just think about you people, people think, think about somebody facing death row, you know, as a prisoner, and then they're released from that. And then, you know, there's such, what about eternal consequences and hellfire to be released from that? It is so significant. All of this is through the redemption of Jesus, the Son of God. In Acts 26, 18, Paul tells us that Jesus told him that he was sending him to the nations for what purpose? To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So forgiveness means bringing them into an everlasting inheritance in the eternal city of God when they have faith in Jesus. And of course, that's, an impor- that, that's a very important point that the catechism brings out. Forgiveness is for Christ's sake. I already touched on that when I was introducing it. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says of God the Father that he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus redeemed us by shedding his blood on the cross. And by trusting in him, we have complete forgiveness and eternal inheritance with him and his kingdom instead of eternal punishment in the lake of fire with the devil. Forgiveness is huge because when we're released from our sins, we're released from everlasting punishment. Praise the Lord. But forgiveness is also huge because it means that we are reconciled to God so that we can be his people, truly be his people and walk with him. We are forgiven so that we can have fellowship with God. That's what we saw in 1 John, isn't it? So that we can be reconciled to God, so that we can truly be his people. That means that we can again know him as our God. We are able to serve him and worship him and pray to him whom we couldn't before. We learn of his glory and excellence, of his beauty and perfection. This is what we were made to do in the first place. And we're empty until we are doing that. Nothing is right for us until our relationship with God is right. And forgiveness makes that relationship right. Until we're forgiven, our relationship is off. We read John's first epistle there, 1 John chapter 1 and 2, part of 2. Look there just for a minute and look at what it says. The first four verses, John tells us that he is writing to us because he was one of the people that God chose to have the privilege to see Jesus when he came here and to walk with him. Therefore, he is writing to tell us about Jesus so that we, having heard what John saw and learned about Jesus, can have fellowship with him too through Jesus Christ, can have fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. Look especially at verse 3. 
that which we, we apostles, he's saying, have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John explains that anyone who truly does have fellowship with God doesn't walk in darkness anymore. Everything has changed when you're forgiven. He walks in the light now. He's in the light. Look at verse 5 through 7 in 1 John 1, 5. This is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now, light refers to what is true and real as opposed to what is false. And this is telling us that God is entirely free of all falsehood. When you think about light, you need to think of truth being revealed rather than darkness where the truth is hidden under the darkness. That means that anyone who has fellowship with him is someone who is surrounded by light and truth instead of darkness and deception. You can't walk with him if you're walking in the darkness. That's what it says in verse 6 and 7. If we say, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. So if you're acting like you don't have any sin when you do, you're walking in the darkness. You're not in the light. You don't have fellowship with God then. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us. But why does it add that? That, ver- that, that bit at the end there, that uh, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us if we're walking in the light. Why does it mention that he cleanses us? Because if I'm walking in the light, wouldn't that mean that I'm not walking in a sinful way? Not really. If we're walking in the light, th- but doesn't that mean that we don't have sin? No, it doesn't. Why do we need to have the blood of Christ to cleanse us from all of our sin? Because walking in the light doesn't mean that we're without sin. It means that we're no longer pretending like we don't have any sin. Walking the light means that we accept truth, that we are guilty sinners who deserve to go to hell. But we know that we have fellowship with God because we are trusting Jesus, his son, to cleanse us. So when you're walking the light, you need his cleansing. You know that you need his cleansing. If you walk in the darkness, you don't think you need any cleansing. Walking the light means that we accept the truth about our sin, about our need for Jesus to cleanse us as our Redeemer who shed his blood to atone for our sin. Now, this is hard for sinners to understand and to accept. So John goes on to explain further that walking the light is not walking without sin, but rather admitting our sin. Look at verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Any son or daughter of Adam who, has, uh, who says that they have no sin, not walking in the light. They're walking in the darkness. They're not walking in the truth. Verse 9 goes on to state this truth again in the opposite way. If we confess our sins, if we admit that we have sinned, that's what confession is, then he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When it says that God is faithful and just to forgive us, it means that he is faithful and just to keep his promise to forgive us if we confess our sins to him and look to Jesus for pardon. There's a promise involved. He won't renege on his promise. He's not like that, nor will he punish sin twice. He has punished Jesus for our sins, and if we look to Jesus for forgiveness, 
and God was to punish our sins, he would be punishing Jesus and us for the same sins. God will not do that. He is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we confess our sins. If we deny our sins, then we're not looking to Jesus. We're going to be punished for our sins. All this means that we can have real fellowship with God, not some pretended fellowship where we're pretending that God accepts us in ways that he doesn't accept us. Pretending that we're good, we don't have any sin, or pretending that, that we don't need Jesus as, to, to save us from our sin. That's not walking with God. That's walking in deception. That's walking in the darkness. So you see that forgiveness is huge because it frees us from everlasting punishment. And secondly, because it gives us true fellowship with God that we wouldn't otherwise have. Fellowship with him in the light. Now, this brings us to the next thing that I want to see about the fifth. I want you to see about the fifth petition. In the fifth petition, Jesus is telling us to ask for forgiveness each day. This is clear from the context. In the fourth petition, we saw this last time that he told us to pray. Matthew six eleven, give us this day our daily bread. We're to ask for bread for each day. We need it every day, so we ask for it every day. This shows us that in the big scheme of the Lord's Prayer, that it is not a prayer that we pray once. Say, okay, I prayed the Lord's Prayer, now I'm done with that. But we pray it every, it's a prayer that we pray regularly, daily. It's meant to be matters, the matters that are mentioned here are matters that we pray every day. I don't mean you have to necessarily recite it every day, though that's not a bad idea. But uh, you need to be praying for these things that are in the Lord's Prayer regularly in a daily fashion so when we move to the fifth petition and jesus tells us to pray forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors he is not instructing people who are outside the kingdom here about how to enter the kingdom it's very true that if you've never come to jesus christ you need to come to him and ask him for pardon you have to come to him and say oh lord have mercy on me a sinner You have promised to forgive all who come to you. Please forgive me for my sins. It's an ultimate prayer for your your whole salvation. Indeed, when a person comes to Christ, they're baptized looking to Jesus as the one who cleanses them. They have the symbol of cleansing that's put upon them for their sins. The great promise of the new covenant is that God will forgive our iniquities and remember our sins no more, and that he will give us his spirit to cause us to be born again so that we will walk in his ways. But the Lord's Prayer is for those who have already come to Jesus, right? It's it's for disciples, people that have already received ultimate forgiveness in that way. And and, And that means that forgive us our debts in the Lord's Prayer could just as well be written, forgive us this day our debts. It's connected with the this day in the verse before. Give us this day our daily bread, and, give a, and this day forgive us of our debts. It's a daily prayer for forgiveness because there are daily debts that are incurred. This is, a very, this is very significant in understanding this prayer. It is not a prayer for forgiveness that we may enter into fellowship with God for the first time, but that we may continue in fellowship with him as those who have come to him. Let me put it like this. If you want to walk with God, you need to deal with your sins each day. 
You need to have your feet washed, as Jesus said to his disciples. Jesus is showing you that prayer for forgiveness is part of your daily walk with God. If you start to think you don't need it, it means that you're not walking in the light anymore. Looking back at what we saw in John, hiding in the dark. You're no longer walking with God who is light and no darkness. You're hiding in the shadows. You're not leaning on learning of God. You are avoiding him in that case. When you're learning of God, you, you know that you need forgiveness. You might be going through motions and people might not even know, but the light of his truth is not shining in your heart. If it were, you would see your sin and you'd be asking him for forgiveness and asking him to help you grow. You'd see that you come short of all his glory and all that he is. Don't mean that you'd be seeing that you're committing some deliberate acts of sin, presumptuous sins, but you see that you come short. You would be reaching forward. You'd be seeking to abound more and more in the love that you have for one another. Remember Paul with the Thessalonians when he says, you guys are doing great loving each other. You need to abound more and more. <laughs> you need to do more. That, that, you, you see that when you're walking in the light. But don't misunderstand. It's not that you are to be beaten down with despair by your daily sins. Not that at all. You know better than that if uh, you are someone who walks in the, in the light of the Lord. If you walk with the Lord. It's actually encouraging when you're walking with the Lord and you're discovering the sin that's in you. Because you're having communion with the true and living God. And uh, you know, to see that he's so great, I don't love him the way I should. You know, it's not, not that you delight in sin, but because you're learning of God in the new, new, through the new life that he has given you. And because you have forgiveness through Jesus and know that he will help you, then it doesn't beat you down but it makes you glad. You, you know what a good feeling it is when you're, when you're walking under conviction of who God is and not in a kind of a dull, blind, with a shadow covering over you. But don't misunderstand this. So, so you know, you're not beaten down. The miserable Christian is the one who is avoiding God, who is not really confessing his sin. When you confess it, you really face it. For what it is, the word confess literally means to say the same thing. The idea that you say the same thing that God says about your sin, you say what is true about it, that's the idea here. But if you're hiding and avoiding God, you'll be miserable. Back to John's words again, 1 John 1, 8 and 9. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The way you get out of a dried up relationship with God is to let his light shine in your life. Confess your sin and start walking in the light once again. So are there particular sins in your life that you're not dealing with? Are there things that you are not facing? You know, one of those sins that's troubling your conscience and you're putting it off, you're avoiding it then you're not walking in the light. It's a problem when we're not walking in the light and we're not growing. But it's even worse when you know about sin in your life and you refuse to confess and forsake it. Perhaps you've lied and you don't want to admit that you lied. You don't want to deal with it. You don't want to make it right. Or maybe you are pretending to confess it, asking God to forgive you with words, but whatever sin it is, you're actually still holding on to. You don't really want to be free from it. You don't want to be punished for it. You don't want it to be held against you. But you want to kind of resort to it again 
It's not something that you've really forsaken. We talked about that recently with sexual immorality and how it's something that people make excuses about. And they hold on to it and say, oh, I'm just weak. They're holding on to the sin instead of confessing and forsaking it. God calls you to cut it out of your life. Don't stay attached to it. Put it away as something that you're done with forever. So do you see what Jesus is giving us, in this, giving us this fifth petition for? It's so that we can maintain our fellowship with him and with the Father. Otherwise, we're walking in a shadow. But confessing sin is not easy for us to do, is it? Even though we have a Savior who will fully pardon us, our natural preference is to avoid facing what we have done. Isn't that what happens? I mean, you know, examine yourself. I mean, what happens when somebody shows you wrong that you've done? Your first thing is to go defensive mode, isn't it? Well, it's the same when the Lord shows us things. What are you refusing to face that you need to face? Ask God to search you and show you if there is some wicked way in you. And if you know something, confess it, forsake it. Proverbs 28, 13 is very clear when it says, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. So what is it that you are refusing to face? Perhaps you're not fulfilling responsibilities that you don't like. Maybe you know that you shouldn't be doing something and you don't want to give it up. Maybe you have been unkind to your spouse or hiding something from your parents or telling lies. You need to deal with that. You should always yearn to walk in fellowship with God. And this tells you how. It's not by covering your sin. It's by confessing it and dealing with it. Whatever it is, you will not prosper until you confess it and forsake it. You cannot maintain a fresh walk with God without doing this. You are shutting off that walk as long as you hang on to your sins. Don't do it. It's ruining your life and it will continue to get worse and worse. It will bring you further and further away from God, isolated from the living God who to know is eternal life. Joseph said, when, remember when Potiphar's wife came to him, he said, how can I do this great sin against God? Why did he say that? Because he was walking in fellowship with God. He was walking in the light. But if you're not walking in the light, it doesn't make any difference to you because you're not walking in the light anymore. So why, it will mean that you'll be more inclined to commit other sins because you're not having the joy of walking in the light. So another sin comes along and it's not going to break anything. It's already broken. You're living in the darkness. You're not going to change, are you? You're not going to, if you don't repent of stuff, you're in the darkness. So it's a side benefit of, of this confessing is that it prevents you from falling into new sins as well. When you're walking with God, you don't want to spoil the good relationship. But if not, you don't care. Say, so lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. But you know, we'll talk about that next week. But, but this week, there is one more thing that we need to cover about the fifth petition. Why does Jesus add the qualification that God would forgive our debts as we forgive our, our debtors? Does he mean that by forgiving others, you earn God's forgiveness? Is it that I, I pay my debt of sin against God by releasing other people from their sins? That that's the payment that I make? I release them, then God will release me because it's, it's, it's all equal that way? In verse 14 and 15, Jesus even adds the words, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. 
So does that mean that I win God's forgiveness and satisfy for my sins by forgiving other people? Does it mean that? Of course, it does not mean that. You know that it's not that if you know anything about God. The infinite eternal son of God had to become flesh and die on the cross to satisfy the debt of your sins. It is not, your debt is not satisfied by forgiving others. Of course, forgiving our brothers and sisters could not possibly do what only the Son of God crucified can do. It doesn't even come close, and it's blasphemous to think that it could. So what does it mean? Jesus says plainly that unless we forgive, we will not be forgiven. And that's exactly what he means. There are two ways that this is true. First, it is true because the refusal to forgive is a mark of unbelief. That's right. If there are people that you utterly refuse to forgive, it indicates that you have never actually been converted. You may say that you believe. You may have professed your faith and become a member of the church. But if there is someone that you refuse to forgive, even after they repent... You show that you are an unbeliever the same way that you would show that you are an unbeliever if you were living as a thief or an adulterer or a murderer. If somebody was out murdering people and said, oh, I'm a Christian. And like, what? You're murdering people or you're stealing every day. This is not what a Christian does. If you have any true experience of what it is to be forgiven by God through Jesus Christ, you will not be able to go on not forgiving your brother. When you are truly converted, there is a radical change in you, and that change is not compatible with a refusal to forgive. True salvation humbles you. You see that you're a desperate sinner, and that, and that only through the suffering and death of Jesus, the very Son of God, can you be forgiven. And when you grasp even a fraction of that, the significance of this, it will not allow you to go on holding on to your brother's sin against him. You will recognize your brother's sin against you does not begin to even compare with your sin against God. To hold on to your brother's sin when God has forgiven you of your sin is intolerable for you when you understand what it is to yourself be forgiven, you see. Jesus tells a parable about that. Do you know the parable that I'm talking about? Matthew 18. In this parable, there's a man who has a huge debt to his king that he cannot possibly ever repay. I mean, it's huge. He pleads for forgiveness And the king forgives him. But then he has a fellow servant who owes him something around $15,000 is the amount it says, 100 denarii. And he utterly refuses to forgive his fellow servant. He said, oh, I thought it was just a dollar or something. No, it's actually $15,000. And he utterly refuses to forgive him when he has been forgiven a debt that he could never even possibly repay. Then the king becomes very angry and delivers the man over to be punished. Jesus explains the parable with these words. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. 
Those are very sobering words. It is not that forgiving our brother makes us worthy of God's forgiveness, but rather that a refusal to forgive our brother shows that we have never experienced God's forgiveness. We have never come to know what it is to be forgiven. We only know his forgiveness in that case in a superficial way. If we truly knew it, we wouldn't be able to refuse to forgive others. Now, it is true that we might struggle to forgive others at first, just like we might struggle with any of the sins that I mentioned, with you know, uh, sexual morality, with, um, w- with hatred, murder, that kind of thing. We may struggle in, in certain ways with this, but if, if, we're tr- if we're a true believer, we won't be able to go on with our refusal once we remember how God has forgiven us. There's initial struggle, but you won't be able to live in it. Just like you won't be able to live in fornication or you won't be able to live in hatred, you won't be able to live with an unforgiving attitude toward another. That prepares us to consider the second way that it is true that we will not be forgiven unless we forgive. Second, it is true because you will not be forgiven until you forgive your, your brother. You, you will not be forgiven until you forgive your brother. Okay, let's, that, that's the way it is. Whether you're a sinner being drawn to Christ for salvation or a believer who is struggling to forgive your brother, now the words are very careful here, you will not be forgiven until you forgive those who have sinned against you. A person who is being drawn to Christ for salvation has not been converted until they repent of their sins, have they? And one of the sins that they will repent of is their refusal to forgive others. It is lovely to see the hard and icy heart of a sinner melted under the free offer of salvation in Jesus Christ. It's incompatible for someone that is coming to faith to be harboring a heart of bitterness and vengeance and revenge toward some other person. They take up wings and they fly away with Christ from their sins. They do that about this sin of not forgiving people as well as the other sins that are in their life. When you come to Christ, they repent of their sins and they're not forgiven until they repent. They haven't really come to him. Now, what about believers? Okay, Every believer knows that there are times when we fall into sin again. And we are never entirely free of it in this life. But the normal Christian life is one where we are not living in sin, living in sin. Now, I told I said before, we come short all the time. But we're not living in defiance and rebellion against God without repentance. And sometimes some sin overtakes us, though. And we do fall into a particular sin. And one of the sins that sometimes overtakes us is the refusal to forgive our brother. Just like we might fall into adultery like David did. We can fall into whatever sin. And what is our experience when this happens? We fall out of fellowship with God. Until when? Until we repent. Though we are still his sons in that case, if, we're, if we truly, truly are believers, he turns his face from us in displeasure and chastens us as a loving heavenly father until we repent. He does not then forgive us in this case, just as Jesus says, until we forgive our brother. 
He deals with us the way he does with our, with our other kinds of defiance until we repent of it. Jesus' words are exactly to this point. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We will be out of sorts with our Heavenly Father and with His Son. We will not have sweet fellowship with Him. We will not experience the comfort of His forgiveness or the joy of our salvation. David didn't experience that until he repented. Was he still God's child? He was. But he was a child under a frowning countenance from the Father. We will be shut off from his voice. The word will not get through to our lives. We will be barren and dry. We will read the word of God and it will be like sawdust to us. But once we forgive our brother, his trespasses, then the Lord will forgive us. Then things will be put right again with the Lord. Do you see how integral then that this this fifth petition is to our daily lives? Each day as Christians, we sin against God. Yet each day we have the privilege of walking with him because we look to Jesus who cleanses us from our sin by his blood. It is not when we say that we have no sin or suppose that we have no sin that needs to be cleansed, but when we confess our sins as those who are walking, that we are those who are walking in the light with our God. How excellent it is to know that each day as we walk in the light, He removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. So my brothers and sisters, you who know the Lord, do not avoid him. Do not hold on to your sin, but come to him and say, forgive me for my debts as I forgive my debtors. And through Christ, he will. And you who do not know Christ, if there is anyone here who has not trusted in him, his offer is wide open. He says in Isaiah 45:22, "Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other." Please stand and let's pray. Gracious heavenly Father, we thank you for the salvation that you have brought to us through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by him alone that our sins are cleansed from us. And we know, Lord, that it is when we repent and we come to you that we experience that salvation initially. And that having experienced it, then we walk with you, O Lord. And that when we sin and we become hardened toward you and we don't deal with our sin, then we do not have fellowship with you. We're not walking in the light anymore. But then when we come to you again and we ask you to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from our unrighteousness, then you are faithful and just to do so. And I pray, Lord, that we would not walk in sin, that we would not allow ourselves to become cold and distant and distracted from you, to be hardened toward you. I pray, Lord, that we would ever be ready to come and to open ourselves up before you, O Lord, that we would live that way, that we would walk that way, and that we would know what it is to have your cleansing. And so, Lord, we do pray that you would forgive us of, the, of our sins, for we know that we come short of you continually. And, Father, that we would be able to maintain this walk in you. And if anyone here has sins that they are harboring, may they know that that is blocking their fellowship with you and that they need to deal with that right now. I pray, Father, that you would give them the grace that they need to repent and to turn to you. 
Father, we thank you that you are faithful and just. Forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We thank you that Jesus has made that way possible. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Let's sing a song of response to this, Psalm 51E. 51E. Our God. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.